everybody, and welcome back to this episode of the Improve Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Harmer, and this episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it's all included with your Squarespace website. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter offer code IMPROVE to get 10% off your first purchase. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Improved Photography Podcast. Today we are talking about photographing Cuba, the Canon 5D Mark IV and more. Um, I'm joined by Mr. Chad Case, who's going to be leading a, a workshop in Cuba soon. Hey Chad. Hello. And of course, Nick Page. Hey Nick. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Well, we got some great questions coming in from the Improved Photography community, both on Facebook Live and Improved Photography Plus. Um Matthew Gavin on Improved Photography Plus says, how do I set up export presets in Lightroom? His uh, his photos are exporting huge and he wants to fix it. Nick, mm-hmm. you want to take that one? Yeah, sure. So what you'll do is you'll right click on a photo. You'll go to the export dialog. And when that pops up, you're going to kind of go through and change all the settings that you that you want to save to your preset. You'll act like you're going to export it. But then before exporting, over on the left side of the of the screen, there's going to be a little list of all your different presets. And then you'll click the little plus. You'll give your preset a name. Like, for example, if you're uh, publishing to the web, uh, you might add your uh, watermark, all that kind of stuff. And then you'll save that as a preset. That way, in the future, when you're going to export to those with those same settings, all you have to do is right click. Go to export, and then there'll be a dropdown of all your different export presets. That's really handy. Like if you're going to have like you know for the web or for print or for client delivery or whatever. So um, really, really handy. I do that all the time. I've got several different export presets. Very cool. And the next question is coming also from Improved Photography Plus. This one is from Mark Connors. Uh, he has the new iPhone Seven. And is looking for a raw and uh, a raw camera and editor. So I also got the uh, the iPhone Seven Plus, uh, and overall the phone is meh. It's okay. It's really an iPhone Six S Plus without a headphone jack, but the camera really is better. So I want to share a couple things about the camera that I think are interesting. Um, first of all, it came out in a story this week that when you so the the big advantage of this the camera on this phone is it has two different lenses um, and one of them is more zoomed in than the other so you can go to your camera and you can press you know your your two times to zoom in and then in theory it will use the more zoomed in camera to do this however the interesting story that came out uh, in the press this week is that the iPhone is not always even using that zoomed in camera. A lot of times it's still using the regular one and digitally zooming in. So the big benefit of this <laughs> this new iPhone uh, for photographers, the camera part, nah. <laughs> that's a real problem. Um, so so do be aware of that. But an in, in answer to your question, uh, there are two that I've been using. One 500px is just came out with one this morning. I haven't tested yet. Just called RAW. Uh, from 500px but it looked pretty cool so i'm anxious to test that one but the one that i have actually been using is just lightroom right in the lightroom mobile app you can take a raw file and edit it right there all right uh tracy munson um says she has been taking a photo trip uh 
Uh, or she has a photo trip coming up to Quebec, and she's developed a severe case of telephoto elbow, where she's been carrying around a heavy heavy lens all week. Uh, now her elbow is hurting. And I just wanted to share this one because I thought Nick's response on this one was, uh, was really snarky on Facebook. Um, she says, what do I do? Do I use anti-inflammatories, put a brace on it? And Nick just responds, monopod. <laughs> Well, it's true. I mean, <laughs> you, you see those guys like shooting NFL games, those giant 400 millimeter and 500 millimeter lenses. You can't you can't handhold that for any length of time. So a monopod, simplest solution like that. That's what I do anytime I have to re, uh, resort to using a really big, long lens is I'm always using a monopod for that because it, it's, it's for sure. Like I'm strong, but I can't handhold that stuff. So monopod, that's the best solution it'll never happen again i think i think you're right i i just thought it was funny i really got a laugh out of that um but yeah i mean i think a lot of people assume when they see the the monopods down the line at at sporting venues that you're using a monopod for stability and that's just not really the reason because you're already going to be shooting at one one thousandth of a second camera shake just isn't really an issue when you're at one one thousandth of a second the, the real issue is it, it's heavy. You don't want to hold it the whole time. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Uh, Lindsay Nelson Wright uh, says she has been using um, Instagram for her business for about a year. Um, and she keeps getting big name photographers uh, that are liking her profile. And uh, she says she's a little bit intimidated by it because they're a lot better than her. Uh, and I'm not sure why those those photographers are finding me, she says. So she says, what am I missing? Why why are people with huge followings following me on Instagram? Okay, I have something to add um, to this one. Um, it very well may, may be that she just has an awesome account. I don't know. Uh, but maybe a more likely scenario is uh, people are following you so that you see them and you follow them. Uh, this has long been like the standard practice on Twitter um, uh, to get new followers is you get a, a machine. I usually do this with an app or uh, uh, that you can connect to your account. And then you, you the app will go follow like 3000 people in a single day, uh, just automatically picking these accounts. And then they see, oh, wow, this person followed me. And so you follow them back. And then they usually unfollow those people in short order as well. Uh, so um, I haven't seen this yet on Instagram, so it may not be the case here. Uh, but this is a very, very common technique to to grow your account. And Twitter has has put in some prote- put some protections in place now for a couple of years uh, to prevent this somewhat. But uh, that's that's uh, generally why this is happening. All right, Chad, we want to talk a lot about photographing Cuba. Uh, so how many times have you been to Cuba? Once. Just once. So tell us about it. Why is it interesting for photographers? Well, it's, it's, you know, it's an interesting place just because it is truly frozen in time. I mean, it's, um, it was a very bizarre place to travel to, uh, you know, photographically as far as, uh, you know, just the people there are very welcoming. It's a great, very vibrant Caribbean culture, regardless of the oppression and communism that does exist there. Um, so you've got, you know, old Havana, these crumbling old, beautiful colonial architectures uh, to photograph. Um, you can get out to these, you know, really close to these pink flamingos. Uh, wildlife opportunities there are really cool. Um, and then, you know, the, the Caribbean. So, you know, white sand beaches, super clear, pristine water. 
Um, they have, as a government, done a very good job of keeping their national parks and places like that clean and pristine. And uh, and it's just kind of a surreal place. Um, uh, you know, the old cars. Um, and uh, you get outside Havana and Trinidad and some of the major cities, and you're back to, to horse buggies um, that are on these wow. car, car axles, you know. And that's the primary means of transportation out in the country is all these horse buggies with these uh, car axles on them with car tires and a couple of horses pulling down the road. Um, so as far as a unique destination to go that hasn't been, you know, westernized or hasn't been uh, fully taken over by tourism, uh, it's easy to get off the beaten path and see just really authentic, culturally rich uh, uh, stuff down there. That's cool. And so I don't really know a whole lot about Cuba, but but one of the things that you always see photos of when you do see images come out of Cuba is the old cars. And I'm not exactly clear as to why yeah. that's a thing. I can but, tell you about it. Yeah, I didn't know about it until I went down there. The other cool thing with going down there is it's just like it's a total education. I mean, this is in kind of at least, you know, my time frame of, of, of conflict in the world, you know, with Fidel and Bastia and, and our U.S. government and the Cuban Missile Crisis and Guantanamo Bay was just, you know, historically going down there and seeing all these places. We kayaked on the Bay of Pigs and got to hear the story there, see kayaked out there. Um, but the, the the thing with the, with the cars is, we, you know, I saw, oh, it's frozen in time, you know, and they got all these cool cars because they didn't get new cars, you know. But the the reality is, the, the reason those cars have proliferated down through the ages is because um, in 1959, when the revolution happened and Fidel took over um, and Basti was ousted, uh, uh, Fidel said uh, to, to the people, okay, these cars, you can have these cars. They can be yours. You can privately buy them and sell them. From now on, after 1969, all cars will come from the state. And there are these crappy kind of little Soviet fiat looking things. Uh. Um, and so as, as, uh, as, as it was down there, that was one of the few things that they could buy and sell and own. You know, they couldn't own a house. They couldn't own anything else. All state runs. So that's why they've kind of kept them down to the ages and kept them because it's something that's theirs, you know, something that's not, doesn't belong to the government. Interesting. Um, okay. And I thought that yeah, was really interesting. And that's why they're so well taken care of. But most of them, you go down there, you look at them, you're like, oh, you know, you think about cars here in the United States, like, oh, the sweet, you know, Bel Air 55, Bel Air or whatever. You go down there and it's like, most of them are retrofitted. They got diesel engines in them. They got, you know, they've had to work to keep these things alive. Yeah. And it, even though at a, at, a, at a quick look, it's like, oh, that's a beautiful car. You get in, you're like, oh man, this thing has seen the years. They're, I mean, they're, they're used. They're well yes. used. They're not like sitting in a garage somewhere. They're driven every day. Yeah, yeah. classic car here. You know, they're they're not driven very much. You know, they yeah. they they saw a lot of use for a while. Then they were restored, and now they sit in a garage. There, they've exactly. been consistently used for you know yeah. sixty years. I had That's a funny awesome. story. One night we had the the night out on the town in the car. Right, so our group got you know a few of these different convertibles to ride around Old Van in. And the first, you know, 15 minutes, we were going to dinner across town and first 15 minutes, like, oh, this is so cool. This is fun, you know, and, and everybody kind of gets a little bit quiet in the car and it's like, wow, I can smell a lot of exhaust, you know, it's like <laughs> breathing out of the tailpipe here. <laughs> so by the time we got to the restaurant, we're like, okay, I was done with that car. That was good. <laughs> I feel a little lightheaded. So, yeah. so the photography uh, seems to be mostly street photography. Is that what most people are doing in Cuba? Well, I think street and architectural is a obvious, it's a great thing to do down there. But if you get outside, like you can go to these different beach destinations and you've got a lot of great landscapes, you know? Um, and I would say just 
cultural photography out, very pastoral, you know, in the fields where they're doing agriculture. And um, so, you know, in Havana and Trinidad, yes, a lot of street photography. And then uh, once you get outside of that and you go to some of the beach destinations, of course, you've got, you know, you can imagine white sand beaches, beautiful sunrise, sunsets. So you can do lots mm-hmm. of great landscapes with. Um, we went to Zapata National Park, um, another beautiful place where you've got wildlife. Birding is a big thing down there. So bird photography is a big thing. Um, and, uh, so there really are quite a few different things to photograph and it's got a, a mountainous region that goes through it. I didn't get in there. You know, I was, I've been there once. I'm planning on going back in January. And, um, so, so tell us and, about the street, about the street photography then, like, tell us what's, what's the approach. Are, I mean, are you just kind of waking up and just randomly sauntering down streets or do you have you more know, of the, a plan of a specific spot right. that you're going? Well, um, yes. Can that be my answer? No. Uh, so the nice thing about old Havana and Trinidad, well, and Cuba altogether, is it's really safe. So if I were to go in Mexico or some other places I've been, I wouldn't have two cameras hanging off me and look like a photographer and go walk down a dark alley. In Havana, I did that every night, you know, go out, walk around. Um, I, I think that it is very safe because the government still is in control. So there is, you know, the fear and we are a great commodity down there. So anybody that messes with a great commodity, um, would probably, uh, get a lot of, uh, flack from the government. So that's the flip side of, of kind of a communist regime is that you're, you're really safe because you're a tourist. Cause um, everybody's too afraid to commit crimes. Ex- exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so then, um, so some nights I would just, I would get my camera, you know, like I love the nighttime photography in Havana and Trinidad cause there's so much going on. And like I night just city grab, though, not stars, right? Night city. Yes. So walking on the streets at night. Um, and I grab my prime lenses. I, I have like a 22, a to 35 F2 and a 51, 4, 85, 1, 4, you know, pretty small lenses. You can kind of stick in your pockets and just go wander around and, you know, um, and so you're shooting you get, primes just because they're small or because the fast aperture uh, or what fast aperture mainly, but I love the fact that they're small and you don't, you're not walking around with a 7200 2.8 poking out of the camera. You know, you can be kind of nonchalant and um, kind of get to know people a little bit better and not look like a photographer. Um, and so I really like that. And of course, the low low light, uh, the primes are better in that too. So, um, so there's that thing where you can just go wander around by yourself and take pictures and it's totally fun. And I would try and get off the beaten path and just try and get, you know, there, I wander past a guy, he's like in this closet sized room and he's got all these shoes around him and he's repairing him. He was a shoe repairman. And are people pretty approachable? Chest. Like, are they okay with you shooting them very, or, or not very at all? approachable? Yep. I do. I do recommend to anybody to, you know, I always try and be polite. I, um, if I'm going to take a picture of somebody and it's going to be up in their mug kind of thing, um, I, I will ask first, I won't just run in there and take a picture. And so it's good to learn. Um, May I take your picture, please, in whatever language you're going to? So, uh, if you say "Puedo tomar su foto, por favor," that's uh, "May I take your photo, please?" And some people just—they were nice if they said no, but I would say 95 percent of the people were like, "Sure, yeah." And so, this shoe repairman—I took his picture and wandered down, found another guy that was, you know, doing some masonry work that had this masonry junk all over him, and it was just mm-hmm. great color, and you know, got a picture of him, and it just. Uh, so that kind of stuff where you just wander the back streets and you're just trying to get real life stuff. You know, you're not trying to get pose stuff. You're not trying to get what the travel books want Cuba to look like and things like that. You're trying to tell the story about the, about the culture and get immersed in it and really find out what it's about. Then there's the, 
the other side, which is in Cuba, I'm sorry, which is in Havana and Trinidad, the larger cities where um, there's people out there in all these colonial squares, which are a lot of these squares that were built, um, that are just there to have their photo taken. And the, it's the ladies with the colorful headdresses. It's the guys with the cigars, um, all kinds of people like that that are just sitting there. And, uh, and the polite thing to do is what they're expecting is, is you pay them, you know, a buck or something like that and uh, and take their photo, you know. Um, and so there's that kind of stuff that's like a planned thing. You can go out and find those interactions and take pictures of people. I, I, I couldn't resist. In, uh, in, in Havana, this guy had all of his dogs dressed up, just ridiculous. Three like basset hounds with glasses. And, and, uh, and I was just like, it was like, I don't know, it was like $3. It was ridiculous how much it was to take a picture. But I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got to support this guy. This is, this is very ingenious, ingenious here. So, um, so yeah, that's the kind of the street photography there. And, and, um, and a lot of times when I'm doing street photography, I'll leave the camera down first and just start talking to people, you know, and try and strike up a conversation. And then, um, if you don't know how to say it, you know, you can just point to your camera and point to them. Sometimes I'll do that. And, um, so, but a really fun place to do that. Really fun place. Very welcoming culture. Very cool. So you've been a lot of places, uh, traveling, uh, on your website, I'm seeing, you know, uh, well, things from everything from California to the Balkans to Canada to France, Croatia, Cuba, Ecuador, Egypt, Fiji, Hawaii, Iceland, Ireland, Israel, Mexico, Namibia, New Zealand, Southeast Asia. Uh, if you had one country that you could go photograph, this is like you're gonna die next week. You got mm. one more trip. Where would you get? Where would you go? Antarctica is on my bucket list, so I would say Antarctica. I haven't been there. Um, I've always wanted to go there. I think it's a fascinating place. Um, so that's one of the places I'd love to go. Yeah, it's been How about the places you've been? Where would you pick? Uh, the places I've been, I would, I would definitely go right back to Fiji because I'm kind of a sucker for the tropics, but it was another place where you kind of felt like you dropped, went back in time a little bit, very simple lifestyle, very welcoming culture, very non-Westernized, very slow, which you have to get used to. Things don't happen on time, but it's refreshing and, and really, a, um, just a beautiful a set of islands and and what and just a great culture i just felt very welcome there and and uh so yeah very cool well i hear you are headed back to cuba tell us about that yes so headed back to cuba in january um leading a photo tour which can uh, which can be found at cubaunbound.com i'm working with a company called road adventures who is a award-winning travel company they've won lots of national geographic traveler best trips of the world or best trips of the world something like that awards um so but their website for cuba is uh is cubaunbound.com and uh it's a photo tour that we're leading and and it's there, there's some flexibility to it right now and so um they're thinking about maybe even putting some sea kayaking in if people wanted to do sea kayaking so um we're uh we're doing that and it's in january 2017 i'm not sure the exact dates but um so yeah hopefully go back down there and be able to have more fun taking pictures very cool. That's exciting. So that's at cubaunbound.com. Very cool. Correct. Yes. Cool. Well, we want to talk a little bit with Nick about the Canon 5D Mark IV and more. Uh, but before we do that, we want to take a second and thank our sponsor, which is Squarespace. 
uh, for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Squarespace is a great and easy way to make your photography uh, portfolio um, or a, a landing page, a, a sales page. You can sell your uh, your actual photos on there. They have built-in e-commerce, or if you're uh, teaching photography workshops, you can sell that there. Um, it's really easy to use. You get a free custom domain when you sign up for Squarespace for a year. Uh, they have gorgeous templates, uh, make your photos look big and beautiful, uh, seamless e-commerce tools and more. Uh, Squarespace has been uh, doing my website and Nick's for uh, a couple of years now. They've been doing mine mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's just really easy to use. They do they do a great job. And we thank Squarespace for their support of the of the podcast. You can start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter offer code IMPROVE to get 10% off your purchase. And we thank them for their support. Well, Nick, tell us a little bit about the Canon 5D Mark IV. You've <clears throat> uh, told us uh, some different things on the show, but what's your, what's your final take on it? And Chad, yeah, aren't so you shooting Canon? I am not. I'm a Nikon guy. Oh, you're a Nikon guy. Oh, oh okay. ouch. <laughs> well, well, you and I can be still be friends. I promise. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, as everybody knows that knows me very much, uh, I've been, I've switched over to the Canon 5D Mark IV. Um, I've had a chance to shoot like several weddings with it, several football outings, some landscape photography. I've really been able to put it through its paces. Um, online, if you watch any kind of YouTube channels, uh, you see that it gets really, really. Uh, dogged hard for like the, the the way that they've done the video aspect of it um and so i've had a chance to actually put it through a couple different video shoots and as long as you don't shoot in 4k very often this thing is excellent for video uh the dual pixel af it gives you the opportunity to actually have autofocus in video and not just like kind of autofocus but like really good autofocus you tap on a face and it stays in focus it doesn't matter like how shallow the depth of field you're using you can shoot it like wide open on a fast prime and it's going to keep the eyes in focus it's really pretty impressive uh it makes it really easy to use if you're just somebody that's kind of like dabbling in video like you do a little bit of video and you don't do enough to like be investing in the big shoulder rigs with you know focus pullers and stuff like that this is actually a really nice option for video but uh kind of backing away uh my experience like completely converting over to using this cam camera only from the 5D Mark III has been really easy because it's so similar. The ISO performance is much better than the 5D Mark III. I'm guessing I'm getting at least a stop more uh, performance as far as like ISO 16,000 looks like ISO 8,000 on the 5D Mark III. It's much, much improved. Yeah, I can push it to ISOs that I would have never pushed my old camera before. And that comes in handy when shooting sports. Like when I go to shoot an NFL or an NFL game, when I go to shoot a Friday night lights, high school football game, you've shot an uh, NFL ISO before. Yeah. Just leave that in I there. Have. Yeah. You've done and, and I don't want to jinx it, but I think I've got another game lined up, but that's awesome. besides the point. Um, but, but when you're shooting like high school games on those really poorly lit fields, ISO 16,000 is like, it's in the cards. Like you're going to, if you've got that capability, you're going to use it because you have to speed up your shutter speed enough to freeze the action. And by the time you do that, you're talking like really high ISO. So I've been shooting like ISO 20,000 and been okay with the results. It's like completely acceptable, like bump up a little bit of luminance, uh, noise reduction, and you're fine with ISO. 
ISO 20,000. So ISO performance greatly improved. Uh, the focusing system is much improved. Uh, it focuses much better in low light than the 5D Mark III did. And if you go over into live view and and use like the touch focus uh, in those really, really dark situations, it actually has what is a negative four EV focusing in live view, which is pretty crazy. Um, so it focuses really good in low light, which is really handy for the weddings that I shoot. Uh, those receptions, I can actually get a few shots in focus now. Kind of nice. And uh, and for landscape photography, the, the whole uh, shooting in live view experience is, is greatly improved because you can touch to focus. You can just touch where you want the camera to focus or you can uh, manually focus it and then you can just touch the back of the LCD to take the shot. That's kind of nice. The pinch to zoom and all of that stuff, the touch screen capabilities is really nice for scrolling through photos and zooming in. You don't realize how used to touch screens you are until you have a, finally have a camera. They can utilize all of those muscle memories that your phone has trained you on. Uh, the whole experience has been really, really nice. I went into this camera kind of being like, well, I might be a Nikon shooter. I'm just so unhappy. And now I'm happy again. Um, so for anybody that's in the Canon system, too lazy to sell all of their lenses and switch over to a Nikon or a Sony, uh, this camera is excellent. Uh, the, the, the sensor performance is right there with the, the D810 and Sony A7R2, uh, but you get, all, you get a better focusing system. I venture to say better and you get all of the Canon lenses and Canon's lenses are arguably the best that are, there are out there. So very happy with my purchase. Um, and the video aspect it's, it, it gets such a bad rap on, on YouTube. Like there's some people that are just like, you know, <laughs> making their living talking crap about this camera, but it's not bad at all. It, if you shoot in 4k, don't get this camera because when you get, switch over to shooting in 4k, it really does cripple this camera. As far as video, you have that 1.7 times crop factor, which isn't a big deal unless you're using higher ISOs, then you're going to get, you know, more noticeable noise because you're not utilizing that full sensor. And, uh, and the file sizes are just huge when you switch over to 4k. It does what's called a MJPEG uh, format, which is just it's the file sizes are like 10 times the size of what it would be on another camera. But if you're shooting all your videos in 1080p, this thing suddenly becomes the best vi video DSLR. So kind of depends on what you're doing. If you're just doing it uh, occasionally and you're only doing it in, in HD like I am, uh, it's a great camera for that. So that's pretty much my final thoughts. I really am happy with the camera. And I have no regrets in buying it. I don't okay, think so, I'm going to get an computer. So there are a lot more interesting or creative cameras out there right now. Things that are people that are doing things right, very, you know, different. You know, Fuji has just announced its uh, medium format camera. That's all the buzz right now. Um, right. Pentax has had one for years. Uh, you know, Sony is doing cool stuff with with mirrorless uh, and crazy sensors and stuff. This camera is, uh, nobody can, nobody could with a straight face call this a revolutionary camera. It's just no, not. Not at all. It's a nice step up in autofocus. It's a nice step up in ISO. Um, but 
it's really nothing. There's no feature that you look at and it's like this. This is the feature you buy this for. This is to me. This camera is a is a buy if you're Nick Page, if you're a professional photographer uh, who relies on on your camera. You want the best image quality, and this one's a little bit better, right? Uh, or, or or what is it? What's the what's the draw to this camera? If, I guess what I'm saying, if somebody's going full frame and they've got to buy all new lenses anyway, when you, when you go full frame, why pick this and not the Sony A7R2 or wait for the three or do the the medium format thing uh, or or something else? Why pick this one? Right. So if you are a a an all around shooter, like you photograph everything, this is a good camera. If you're somebody that does landscape photography only. I would go with an A7R2 or maybe a D810. If you're somebody or if you hate that, user interfaces, then you're yeah, fine on yeah. Sony. Don't worry about exactly. it. <laughs> exactly. If you, but if you're somebody that just needs a a dependable camera that is not going to ever like fail on you, this is also an excellent camera. That's the problem with a lot of the the new cameras that come out that have like all of these revolutionary new features. Is a lot of times. The fr- when a camera comes out with those revolutionary new features, they often have lots of bugs and they don't work quite the way they were intended to work. And uh, there's nothing like exciting or gimmicky about this, but it's really functional. It's incredibly functional. And I can I can take this to an NFL game or I can take this to a landscape photography shoot or I can take it to a wedding or I can take it to a portrait shoot or I can shoot live music with it. It'll do everything. You can't really say the same about, you know, like a, you know, a, a, a medium format Fuji. Like, you know, you can't take that to every type of shoot or you can't really take a Sony A7R2 to an NFL game, or at least I haven't seen that yet. You know, they, this is a good all around camera that can do everything well. And a lot of those other types of cameras that have the really impressive features, they're good at one aspect, but maybe not the others. So that, that's kind of the difference is this is good all around camera that's going to be dependable for somebody like me that like depends on this thing to feed my family. So uh, I guess that's why I went with that. That and I have all these all these lenses that I'm way too lazy to sell. Hey, I've, I heard um, a funny joke. What? Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. Uh, what's the difference between a full time photographer and a Costco pizza? A Costco pizza <laughs> can feed a family of four. <laughs> <laughs> i oh, thought that was depressing. awesome oh that is good i think i think that's one of those jokes that you can really apply to any profession but i thought it was funny yeah. it was a good one that's awesome so okay so now we're talking about i i just have to know jim jim you are a fuji fanboy yeah are I you am. gonna are you gonna get that medium format well i don't know i i so it's it's exciting because I'd kind of like to try something new. I've never really shot medium format, and so I may get it really as kind of an experiment, and it may, may be one of those things that I try it for 20 days and return it before the 30-day window is over uh, just to see if it's something that I could really deal with. Uh, but, you know, the problem that you're describing is exactly what I see as well, Nick, um, that, like, it's cool, but what about when I do want to shoot wildlife or I do want to shoot sports or uh, I do want to shoot macro? There's no macro lens. There's no, I mean, it, it just, it takes years to build up a good lens system. Um, and yeah. so, I, I don't know. I think if I did, I would still keep at least one Fuji camera because I, 
I need to be able to shoot some of those more specialized things as well. You know, 90% of the time, I'm either shooting landscapes or portraits. 90% of the time. Uh, but it's that other 10% of the time that I don't want to be locked in for. Uh, so we'll see. The other problem with it that's the obvious problem is they said uh, that the pricing of this Fuji camera is going to be, quote, way under $10,000. Well, <laughs> That's that's great, but you might as well have said way under a million dollars. I mean, <laughs> but if way under ten thousand dollars means it costs nine thousand dollars, well, no, thank you. Uh, if exactly. way under ten thousand dollars means it costs six thousand dollars, then that's still a really tough pill to swallow. But it could be interesting to try uh, as as a medium format camera. I mean, that's that's really the same price range as the the very high end Canon and Nikon, you know, like the One DX and stuff. And and uh, so I, I I don't know. A, I, I could see it, but but only if the numbers are really right. Um, and and it, and it would be more of an experiment. It wouldn't. I I don't think it would take over as my day to day camera. That, that's the thing. Is it's the same price ballpark with like really poor focusing. Yeah. <laughs> like no depth of field and <laughs> and like four available lenses or whatever it's going to come out with like that's a you know six thousand dollars for a body only Woo, man that's a whole new level of commitment right there especially for an experiment like because what are you going to shoot with it no by you know? by by experiment i mean 30-day experiment where you can still return it <laughs> so that's what i mean by experiment i'm not going to plunk down six thousand dollars just because it sounds fun <laughs> doesn't sound like a good idea <laughs> but but it is it is interesting it was definitely all the buzz at photokina um and so if they get a lot of things right then it, it could be worth trying out uh to see if it's something that you know and and maybe they will do something really uh different with it you know one kind of crazy thing about medium format is they really don't do that great uh with uh, with high isos uh, the noise level on medium format is, is not super awesome um which is crazy because it's a gigantic sensor. It should be the best thing in the world. And so that's one thing that like, if they did something like that, where they really push the ISO and use that big, that big sensor, something like that, you know, then, then we could be talking if it was uh, some kind of substantial benefit like that. Exactly. All right. Uh, well, in every episode, we like to share a doodad of the week with you, Chad, do you have a, a product to recommend to us? Sure. We were talking earlier, right? About, awesome photo gear that you want to buy for your, for, uh, for your career, for the fun stuff. Yeah. Um, spend a lot of money on a really nice chair. Cause right. Your butt's going to be right there for a lot of hours. So I would, uh, <laughs> I would buy that, but in, it, let's see. So in all seriousness, though, I, uh, I, um, can I turn this camera around? I can do this. Oh, you Here just flip your wrist. Just yeah. Kidding. Okay. So, um, I had a DJI drone before and DJI, does have great technology, but they have terrible support. And I had some issues with the braking. So this is the new unique Typhoon 4K. Um, 4K, yeah. So the really Typhoon H, it. right? Um, it is the Typhoon Q500 4K. Ah, cool. Right there. Okay. Nice. Um, bought it on BH for about a thousand bucks. 4K camera right there. And um, the box that it came with originally. Um, looked like a burly box, but we were on a river trip and I accidentally sat down on the box and I put my bum right through the top of the box. So ah. <laughs> this is the second box that we had. It didn't damage the drone, luckily. Um, but, uh, this is sweet because it's a waterproof box. It's got a place for your batteries, um, for the monitor, everything. This 
piece also comes with this handheld thing gimbal that a lot of things are coming with, which you can mount the camera to the the gimbal there, and then it acts as another gimbal that you can handhold and run with uh, with that with this camera right here. So this camera comes off right down there, that round piece, and goes onto this this gimbal here. Um, the nice thing about it too is it's uh, quiet. The uh, the Phantom, when you started it up and ran it, it was that kind of high pitched wee and yeah. really really annoying to people around you. This thing, you get it <laughs> off the ground twenty feet, you can barely hear it. Like wow. um, sometimes if the, if I'm out and it's a noisy area, I can't even. I, mean, I have to look at the props to make sure they're spinning to hear it. So, uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's my product for the week. The cool thing about Typhoon drones is that they look like they're out of some kind of sci-fi movie, right? Yeah, Don't like, they look like yeah. spaceships out of like some kind yeah. of really awesome sci-fi movie? Yeah, they, it's kind of a Darth Vader thing. You know, it's yeah, like exactly. Star Wars. Um, <laughs> that's cool. One more thing, too, on DJI, I can support the terrible customer service thing there. Um, they just didn't do a very good job. Uh, on this, they're a U.S.-based company, and when we've had any kind of issues at all, We've called them and they pick up right away and they're like, okay, what can we do to help? So their tech support has been great. Cool. That really is. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. Well, uh, I have a do, uh, do and a do don't for you this week. Um, my do uh, for this week is this Andor uh, 360 all viewer camera. Um, it's a really, really cool little product. Uh, so 360 photography uh, is definitely all the rage right now. Uh, this one's only $100. Um, uh, and it, it's really cool. It has this very, very fisheye. It's only a 1.1 millimeter lens. Hello. Um, and it's an F2. Uh, so it's just this super, super wide fisheye lens that'll, uh, it's called a 360 camera, but it's really more of a 180 camera. Um and it will just get this huge fisheye uh, fish view for you. Uh, so then you upload something like this to Facebook. And you've probably seen those photos. They've been showing a lot on Facebook where you can tilt around your your can't your phone uh in the app and then you see different areas of the photo uh so uh, i thought this was cool the company sent it to me uh for review uh, it works well it's not super expensive i do believe there's Great. also a version with a lens on the other side so you're getting the true 360 degrees and you don't have to you know pan this uh to see everything uh, but it's really easy to use hooked up to the wi-fi really easily they have an app um, and it comes with a waterproof case, which is pretty cool. So, uh, this is the Andor 360 all viewer camera. Um, and it's, uh, it's pretty cool. All right. Cool. Then the do don't of the week. Um, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I tried the Apple watch and for me, it is a do don't. Uh, I, I wore it for a couple days and I thought, Oh, it's kind of cool. You know, you can, get your phone calls on your wrist and look like your secret service and you get your texts on your wrist, which was actually kind of handy. So you don't have to have your phone in your pocket all the time, but the range just isn't good enough. You know, I can't just leave my phone in the kitchen and walk around all day with the, with the watch uh, because it's, it, you know, it, like the audio will only work about 20, 30 feet away. And then it starts to cut out. Um, and eventually I just forgot to put it on one morning and I realized, you know what, this, this just, we're past watches i just it just it just didn't speak to me have you guys tried a, one of the smart watches 
I haven't. I haven't. I have I've thought about it, but yeah. I haven't. The only the only benefit that I saw for photographers was a slight one, um, and that was that instead of setting your ten second timer on your iPhone, if you're taking if you're taking a group photo, you can just tap from the watch and it will take the take the picture. You got to really want it for that. I don't know. I, I guess if you're really into the fitness tracking, it's cool. Uh, but uh, for me, it was a return. I, I, I buy a lot of things and just test them out. And if I like it, I'm going to keep it. But uh, I ended up returning that one. It wasn't uh, wasn't uh, something that I needed by any means. Uh, cool. So that does it for this week of the Improved Photography Podcast. I want to uh, recommend you check out uh, Chad's uh, CubaUnbound.com to check out his workshop in Cuba. And Nick, do you have any slots open in workshops? You've been selling out pretty fast. Uh, I think we have like two spots available in one of the Palouse tours next year. For <laughs> next year, <laughs> for 2017. For next year. Yeah. So uh, in next May, late late May, we, have, we run a couple different uh, Palouse tours. One is completely full. The other is almost full. We keep those groups really small, so it's going to fill a lot faster. If you're interested in that, you can go over to nickpagephotography.com and, and find more details. But that's probably my favorite tour of the year. Even though we're going to like Iceland and all these cool places, the Palouse is so photogenic that everybody always comes away with uh, good images there. I saw that one of the people that came last year, they actually won the, they got first place at the state fair with one of their photos. Super and they're cool. Just, and they're just like a very casual hobbyist and uh, they're winning state competitions with the images they got here. So it's pretty cool. That's really cool. That's that's fun to see. You do a great job with your workshops. Well, thanks everybody for joining us on this episode of the Improved Photography Podcast, and we will see you in another seven days. 